If you weren't around last week, we started um, a series back in Acts last week. And I'll just catch you up with where we are. So where we are is um, Paul, who was one of the early church leaders. He, um, he was traveling around looking for opportunities to preach the gospel. Now, preaching the gospel is one of those like, religious phrases, but all it means is to declare, to proclaim the good news of who, who Jesus is. That's what, that's what Paul was doing. So he was traveling around looking for opportunities to do this. And he tried to go to a couple of places, uh, and God shut those doors for him. He said, no, I don't want you in Asia. Uh, that's not where I want you now. And through a vision, God, God called him to go to Macedonia. And so he traveled out to Macedonia, and he's in Philippi. This is where we're picking up the story this week. He's in Philippi. So he's gone to Philippi to, with the express intention of, I want to tell people good news about Jesus. That's what he wants to do in Philippi. And so he goes there uh, to do that. And there he meets this woman called Lydia. And we're going to talk more about uh, Lydia as, as we go on. But what we're, the story we're picking up now is the story of what Paul does when, while during his time in Philippi. What is it he actually spends his time doing? And what they, what they start by doing, we saw this last week, is they go to this riverside. They go to the side of the river where a group of um, Jewish people have go, are going to pray, mainly women. And they, he goes there, and he goes there to tell them about Jesus. And as he goes to this riverside, he tells them about Jesus. Lydia becomes a Christian. And he keeps going there. And that was what we saw happening in verse 16 that was read earlier. So you'll see in verse 16, when it says once when we were going to the place of prayer, that place of prayer is this riverside, which he's already been to where he's met Lydia. So what they do is they keep going there. So yeah, Lydia's become a Christian, but there's more people who they want to know about Jesus. So he keeps going there to tell them about Jesus, to tell them all about what's going on there. And what we then have in the rest of this chapter is a few snapshots of what happens as the gospel is preached in Philippi. And this is what I want to do this afternoon. So if you're wondering what we're going to chat about, this is what we're going to chat about this afternoon. We're going to talk about what difference does the gospel make in people's lives. That's what we're going to talk about. So last week, we, t- we focused in on Paul. We, we talked about Paul uh, and how Paul committed his life to preaching the gospel. That's what he was about. That's what he wanted to do wherever he was, whether he was in jail, whether he was in Philippi, whether he was in front of a court, wherever he was, he wanted to be telling people about Jesus. That's what he committed his life to. And what I was saying last week was that that is what God calls us to. That's the life God calls each one of us to. That's what we were created to do, to to declare the greatness of God. And so that's, that's the life God calls each one of us to. But I guess the question is, why? Like, what's the use of it? What does it do? Like, you could commit your life to anything. You could commit your life to the acquisition of money. You could commit your life to building the perfect family. You could commit your life to any of a number of things, to building a great business, to being uh, as fit as you can. You could, you could commit your life to anything. If I'm going to call you and say, look, what you should commit your life to is to telling people about Jesus. Why? Like, why is that worth your time? Why is that worth you pouring your energy into it? Now, it's worth saying, I love talking about things. I was chatting to, I was chatting to Sarah the other day. Um, so Sarah's recently set up a, 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 an organization called Play Out Hartlepool. 
And what she does is she goes out to schools and places like that, and she, she takes kids, and she gets them playing outside. And she does some education through that, uh, but also just some, let's get kids outside. Let's get them comfortable being outside, spending time outside. And she's been doing this for about eight months. And I suggested, I said, why don't I come and do, do some work for you as part of Play Out Hartlepool? Uh, and, and so we're talking about this, and she was like, well, what would you do? And I said, well, if you do the playing outside with kids, I'll do the talking to people about playing outside with kids. Like, that's, that's the bit I can do. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not that interested in the actual doing of the playing out with kids, but I'm very happy to go and talk to some people about why I think kids playing outside is a really great idea. Um, uh, but the problem with that is if, if the world's full of me's, no children are being played with. So people are having some really great conversations about playing and how important it is. But it's only if you've got people like Sarah who actually are like, no, we need to get out with kids and play with them, that any kids are actually out there playing. Now, you will have your equivalent of that. You will have those things where you think, this is just stuff people love talking about, but nothing ever gets done. I mean, isn't that the criticism people often make about politics? You know, they just sit around, they chat about stuff, they come up with all this thing, but nothing ever changes. My life never gets any better for all their conversations. It's the criticism that people have about education or about religion. You know, people, they sit around, they talk about things, but nothing actually changes. It doesn't make any impact on people's lives. And I guess the question is, what about Christianity? Is Christianity one of those things? Is it a thing that people love to talk about? You know, people like me, we love to stand up, chat a bit about, about, bit about Christianity, give you some kind of thoughts for the day, some nice ideas, but actually nothing changes. No one's helped by it. It's just a talking shop. It, is that all it is? Well, clearly, I don't think that. And Paul doesn't think that. And what, one of the things that I think is really striking, I didn't pick this out last week, but I'm just going to mention it now. If, you just, if you've got the Bible open, if you flick back to verse 9, I just find this really interesting. In verse 9, Paul gets this vision of a man from Macedonia. And what's the man saying? He's saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Come over to Macedonia and help us. Somebody crying out for Paul to come and help them. But it's interesting then what Paul concludes from that. So if you then flick through to the end of verse 10, the end of verse 10, what does Paul think this vision means? Well, he says we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, it's not, that's what helping looks like for Paul. It's not like, oh, well, I need to go and help them, so I need to, I don't know, set up a soup kitchen or build some houses or stuff. Nothing wrong with those things, but that's not what Paul concludes here. He's like, they need help, and what is it they need? Well, they need people to tell them about Jesus. That's the help that they need. So Paul clearly thinks that, the gospel is of some practical use. It actually makes a difference to people's lives. And the question then is, well, what difference does it make? And what we're going to do this week is we're going to look at three people. We're going to look at a slave girl, a jailer, and we're going to look at Lydia. They're all talked about in that passage we read earlier. And we're just going to very, uh, very briefly just think, what impact does the gospel have on their lives? You know, they hear this good news of Jesus. What difference does it actually make? What does it actually do in their lives? Now, now, the first thing I want you to notice just as we start is it's not possible when you see the range of people who are reached by the gospel here for you to think, oh, the gospel is for people not like me. Because just look at how different the three people who had mentioned there. You've got a slave girl 
So somebody kind of low uh, socioeconomic prospects, difficult uh, situation. Um, you've, got, you've got her, one kind of person. You've got a jailer, someone who's kind of a, a professional, got a career. And then you've got Lydia, this rich dealer in purple cloth who has a whole household of people. You've got people from all different levels of society, got people from different genders. You've, in all probability, got people from different ethnicities and backgrounds there, all impacted by the gospel. So if you're someone here who sat there saying, oh, I get that the gospel's good news for that person over there, but it's not good news for me, I want you to see that this snapshot of the people who are impacted by the gospel at Philippi tells us that the good news of Jesus is good news for everyone. The good news of Jesus is good news for everyone, and that includes you. So, so that's, that's the first thing I, I just want us to notice. But let's, let's get into it. We're going to get into it with the slave girl to, to begin with. So what, what's the story here? Well, if, if you managed to follow it when it was read earlier, the story is fairly simple. Paul and uh, his companions are going out to the riverside. They're going to, um, they're going to tell people about Jesus there. And as they go each day, there's this slave girl who follows them. This slave girl has a reputation for being able to tell the future. She makes money for her owners from doing that. And as day after day, she follows them and she shouts out, we're told, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now you might think, hearing that, that's pretty good like free publicity for Paul, isn't it? You've got someone following around, shouting out, these are servants of the Most High God telling you the way to be saved. You might think Paul would be thrilled by this, but he's not. In fact, we're told in like, what I think is quite an interesting phrase, that Paul is annoyed. Okay? He finds it annoying. I think I'd probably find it annoying after a few days if someone just kept following me around and started shouting slightly random things after me. I'd probably get, get annoyed. And Paul gets annoyed. That's what we're told. And I guess the reason for that, at least in part, is because this slave girl is not a follower of Jesus. She doesn't know Jesus. We're told more than that. We're told that she has a spirit and that it's this spirit that's causing her to do this. I just want to, I think that's a a helpful warning for us. Uh, And the warning is something like this. Just because what someone says is true doesn't make them a follower of Jesus. So sometimes we latch on to things people say and we go, oh, you know, they're saying that and that's great and that's true. And we want to affirm it. And, and that's fine, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't think that just because what they're saying happens to be true, that means that they follow Jesus, that they know Jesus for themselves, because it doesn't. Uh, but the, others, the, the other side, that's true as well. Just because someone doesn't know Jesus doesn't mean that what they're saying isn't true. You see, what this person's saying is true. Well, you, you couldn't follow any word that she says. But what I think we see here is what we saw actually when Jesus was on earth. Fundamentally, Jesus did not want his message to be proclaimed by spirits. He wanted it to be proclaimed by his followers. And we see exactly the same here. Paul does not want the message of who Jesus is to be proclaimed by somebody who doesn't themselves follow Jesus. And so Paul commands the spirit to come out of her and out it comes. Now, it's worth saying at this point, I don't know what you make of that, uh, of that story. There'll be a range of reactions around the room because the idea of spirits is something that we are, many of us are fairly unfamiliar with in our culture. It's not stuff that many of us talk about. Some of us will be more comfortable with that idea than other people. But I guess we want to always come back to what does the Bible say about these things. And what the Bible clearly says is that 
there are spiritual forces and that each one of us is influenced by spiritual forces. And more than that, the Bible would say that each one of us is a slave to a particular spiritual force. Each one of us is a slave to that. Later in his life, Paul is going to write a letter in which he's going to unpack this idea idea in some detail. Uh, And he's going to say many times in this letter that each one of us is a slave to sin. Each one of us is under the power of sin. Sin is not simply something we do. It is a power that has enslaved us. And because of that, we are unable to prevent ourselves from sinning. I once, I once heard someone say, if you don't think that you are under the power of sin, if you don't think you're a slave to sin, then prove it by never sinning. That's all you've got to do. If you, if, you, if you go, I'm not a slave to sin, I'm not under the power of sin, just prove it. Just don't ever sin again in your life, and you'll prove me a liar. But none of us can do that. None of us can manage that. However determined we are to stop sinning, we cannot We continue to lie and cheat and hurt other people and neglect the God who made us. We continue to be selfish and envious and unkind and greedy. See, that's that's the problem. That's the problem we face. There are spiritual forces out there and that great spiritual power, the power of sin, as is talked about throughout the letter of, of Romans that Paul writes, it enslaves every one of us. But, but what I don't want to do this week primarily is focus on the nature of the problem. What, what I want to do is talk about the impact the gospel has. And here's just the very, like, so straightforward thing I want you to notice here. And that is that the gospel brings freedom for this girl. That's what the gospel does. If you want to know what difference does the gospel make for this, for this girl's life, you can see it dramatically. The spirit leaves her, and it doesn't return. Just like that, Jesus frees this girl from the influence of this spirit. So if you want to know, what difference would the gospel make in my life? What difference would the gospel make in anyone's life? Here's here's one of the answers. The good news of Jesus proclaimed, this is a difference it makes, it brings freedom. It brings freedom. Now, I just want to dwell on that for, for just a few minutes, because I'm aware that, I, as I have said this, there will be some of us in this room who feel like we are under the power of sin in our lives right now, as I speak. For some of you, that will look like addictions that you've had for a long time you don't seem able to shake. You keep vowing that you're going to stop watching porn, but the evening comes and your phone is just there and you keep going back to it. You keep deciding that you're going to stop drinking or drink less, but you actually never really seem to manage it. You long to be rid of your reliance on drugs, but its hold over you is too strong. You've tried every course available, but you cannot stop eating more than you should. You know that the amount of time that you sink into computer games is a massive waste of life. You keep deciding that you're going to stop, but the hours just keep racking up week after week. You know you're in 
debt and it stresses you out, but you can't stop spending. There'll, there'll be people in this room who right now feel under the power of an addiction in, in their life. Uh, for some of you, it, it won't look like addictions. For some of you, it'll look like behaviors, behaviors which you just can't seem to deal with. You, you hate the way that you lose your temper with your wife and kids. You've begged for forgiveness so many times. You've vowed never again, over and over again, and yet there's always a next time. Or you go to bed night after night feeling terrible about the lies that you've told, and yet the next day comes and you fill it with yet more lies. There'll be some of you who feel under the power of addictions today. There'll be some of you who feel under the power of sinful behaviors that you've talked about shaking, but you don't. But for some of you, you might currently, right now, just feel under the power of laziness in your life. You, you long to have a closer relationship with God, but no matter how many reading plans you start, they all seem to peter out. No matter how determined you are to make it to life groups, Wednesday evening comes and Wednesday evening goes and you find that you've just sat at home alone again. I, I know what it feels like to feel trapped and enslaved and like there's no hope of freedom. Like what's the point in even fighting this thing because I've failed so many times before and all I'm going to do is fail again. Here's what I want you to hear this afternoon. The gospel brings freedom. Things which seem inevitable, things which we ourselves are powerless to resist, they are not belong beyond Jesus' power. Paul commands the Spirit to leave in Jesus' name and it leaves. Paul picks up this idea when he talks about the power that sin has over our lives. Paul writes um, in the, that letter to the church in Rome, he says this, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching which has now claimed your allegiance. You used to be slaves to sin, but now, now your allegiance has been claimed by something else, by the gospel that was preached to you. What does the gospel do? It brings freedom. So here's the question for you this afternoon. What is it that you want freedom from? Maybe it's one of those things I talked about. Maybe it's something entirely different. Here's what I'm going to do. I, I want to get into the talking a bit about the jailer. I want to talk a bit about Lydia. I'm just going to give us a, a minute now. Just a minute of quiet. Uh, and I'm going to give you time just to talk to Jesus right now and to pray for freedom from whatever it is that you want God to free, free you from this afternoon. If there's one of those things that I've been talking about or something else that God has been laying on your heart this afternoon, that you just think there's no escape from this, there's no way out of this, I want you to pray to Jesus for freedom from it. So I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that yourself and then I'm going to pray it for us uh, and then we'll get into having a little chat about uh, some of the others. So take a, take a few seconds now. Just think about those. If there is something, don't just sit on it. Take it to Jesus and pray for that freedom.
Lord Jesus, for those of us who have right now called out to you for release from something that has seemed to have such power over us, maybe for so long. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bring freedom into those people's lives today. Father God, I pray that through the power of the gospel, through the good news of what you have done at the cross, that you would bring the forgiveness, that you would pour out your spirit to bring freedom where up until this point there has only been slavery. Amen. If you prayed for something specific right now, let, let me encourage you just to talk to someone about that. Uh, ideally, your life group leader, they're the, they're the people who can walk through that process with you uh, the best. Do, do talk to someone about it. Do, do follow it up. So the gospel leads to freedom. I'm gonna, I want to move on to the Philippian jailer, jailer, this incredible story of someone who is saved from suicide by the power of the gospel um, as Paul and Silas chose not to leave the jail when they could have. Now, there's so much I could say about this story. The story of the Philippian jailer makes up the vast majority of this. I just want to focus in on verses 31 to 34. If you have the Bible open in front of you, then you can see these verses there. Uh, this, is, this is what happens. So, Paul, uh, Paul is asked, what must I do to be saved? And this is Paul's response, 31 to 34. They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then... They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. So you see what's happened there. That's the first bit of it, isn't it? So the first bit is the gospel is proclaimed. The gospel is preached. They're told about Jesus. And we're asking the question this afternoon, what difference does that make in someone's life? So what difference does it make in his life? Well, let's look, 33. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I mean, it's transformation, isn't it? It's a, it's, a, it's a completely different relationship that the Philippian jailer has with Paul because the gospel has been preached to him, because he's, he's come to accept it. I want to talk about four things that happened there. I'm going to give us about two sentences on each, and then we'll keep going. Um, so here's, here's the difference, the, the, the consequence of the gospel being told to this man brings. First is that he believes it. So that's the first thing. The gospel's taught and he believes it. That's the key question we have to answer when we hear the gospel. So right now, that's the most important question you have to answer, is do I actually believe the gospel? You know, this good news of of a Jesus who loves us, who died for us, who brings forgiveness, who brings us back into relation with God, do I believe that or not? Do we believe it? Do we believe in Jesus? Do we believe in his power to free us from the power of sin in our lives? Do we believe in his ability and willingness to forgive us? In this In this account, this man found something he believed and believing it changed his life. So that's the first question. Do you actually believe it? But the second thing is, once he believed it, what did he want to do? Well, he wanted to share it. It's like his first instinct. He didn't just believe it himself. He wanted his entire household to believe it too. And so it's this fascinating thing where he believes it and then he says to Paul and Silas, quick, come and tell my whole household what you've just told me. He's so excited by what he's heard and what he believes that he just immediately wants Paul to tell his household the same thing. And as a result of that, his, not only was he saved, but his whole household was saved, we're told. So he believes it and as he believes it, he wants to share it. And then the third thing is, as a result of that, as a result of hearing the gospel 
and believing it, this man is baptized. He wanted to declare that he believed it. And so Paul did not just tell him the gospel, but he told his whole household, and then he baptized them. He did what Jesus calls everyone who believes in him to do. He was baptized. And then the fourth thing you see right at the end is the gospel resulted in, verse 34, he was filled with joy. So you see, this is, this is the journey this man goes on. He hears the gospel. He believes the gospel. He wants the gospel to be shared. And then he wants to declare that he believes the gospel by being baptized. And as a result of that transformation that the gospel brings in his life, he is filled with joy. Now, as a church, we are committed to sharing the good news of Jesus. It's somewhere. It's there. Okay, that's what we're about. We're about sharing the good news of Jesus. But the question is, why? Why do we do that? Why are we so committed to that as an idea? What are we hoping will happen as we stand up and talk about Jesus, as we meet people in coffee shops and talk about Jesus, as we chat to each other about it? What are we hoping will happen. Well, we're hoping that people will be freed from the hold that sin has on their life, just like the slave girl was. We're hoping that by, as they find the forgiveness the gospel brings, that we're hoping that four things will happen. We're hoping that people will believe. If you don't yet believe Jesus, if you haven't yet accepted the death he died for you, if you haven't asked him to forgive you and accept you, then our prayer is that as we sing songs that declare the truth of the gospel, As we pray to our Savior, as we speak from his word, our prayer is that you would believe that. That's that's our great prayer this afternoon, is that as we sing and talk of the gospel, that you would believe it. And if you do believe it, if you do believe in Jesus for yourself, our prayer then is that you would declare and proclaim that gospel, that like this jailer, you would want to share it. You'd want to share it with your friends and families, that you would be inviting people to hear this gospel which you yourself have come to believe. And if you do believe in Jesus, and you are following him, then our prayer would be that you would then be baptized. If you do believe in Jesus, and you have not been baptized, I want to make it clear right here that you should be. You should be baptized. That's the response. Jesus calls on you to be baptized. And as we read through Acts, that's what people do when they come to believe in Jesus. And so let me be clear. If you are someone here this afternoon who loves Jesus, knows him, has found his forgiveness, but hasn't yet been baptized, we would love to baptize you. Just come talk to us afterwards. We'll make it happen. Maybe not immediately, but we'll make it happen quickly. And finally... As you believe this gospel, as you share it with those around you, as you declare it through baptism, our prayer then is that you are filled with joy. That's what we want for you. When people, when people criticize churches because they say, oh, look, they just want to convert us. Yes, we do. That is exactly what we want to do. Because we want you to believe in Jesus. And through that, we want you to be filled with the joy that you find in knowing him. That's our terrible hidden agenda. That's our secret mission that we're trying to do. We're trying to tell people about Jesus so they can be filled with the joy that you find through knowing him. And so that's what we want to do as a church. As we keep 
telling each other the gospel. We're going to keep singing songs about it. We're going to keep talking to Jesus. We're going to keep opening his word and thinking about this gospel because we want to be filled with joy and we want each other to be filled with the joy that comes through that. We're going to keep gathering together to proclaim the gospel because in doing that, we find the joy which is ours in the gospel. See, what difference does it make the gospel to this man? Well, it gives him something to believe in. It gives him something that he wants to share. It leads to his baptism. It leads to joy. This is why when Paul hears someone in Macedonia saying, come and help me, his initial response is, yeah, great, I'll go there and I'll tell them about Jesus. What better help could you give anyone? I'm not, I'm not going to end with the flipping jail yet. This week I want to end with Lydia. Because that's actually where the story ends. You'll see in verse 40. Where are they at the end of the story? They're back in Lydia's house. The house they were invited to go and live in after Lydia heard the gospel and came to believe it for herself. And I just want to point to one final difference that the gospel makes in people's lives. And it was sim- it's simply this. The gospel led to hospitality. Hospitality. I mean, it's just seeing Lydia. Like, whenever you read Lydia, she seems to have people in her house or be inviting people into her house. I love that bit. Um, we didn't read it this week, but in verse 15, where... Um, she says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay in my house. And she bes- persuaded us. It's like she's saying, it's like, it's like they're saying, oh, I don't know, it seems a bit presumptuous. And she's like, no, no, you must come. You must come into my house. You must come and stay with me. Uh, and look at what she's saying. She's saying, look, if you think that I truly believe in Jesus, then what that looks like in my life is me showing hospitality to you. That's what my faith in Jesus leads me to do. So don't deny me that privilege. Don't, don't, Stop me from being able to show the hospitality that God's calling me to show. If you want to know a, a difference that the gospel makes, it, it makes me hospitable. It looks like me opening my house up to people. That's what Lydia said. She said, look, this is what the gospel leads me to. It means that I need to open my house to you so you have somewhere to stay, a base from which you can share the good news with people in Philippi. The gospel leads to hospitality. You're going to see that again and again next. In Acts, people are just opening up their houses to each other all the time. You're going to see it in Acts. You're going to see it in the letters. As you read those letters that Paul wrote and other people wrote, you're going to see again and again we're called to show hospitality. But fundamentally, we see it in the gospel, don't we? Because the gospel is the story of a God who welcomes and accepts us. The gospel is the story of a God who has prepared a room in his house for us. And more than that, he hasn't just prepared a room for us as guests. He's prepared a room for us as adopted sons and daughters. As a member of his household. And as we have been welcomed and accepted, so we welcome and accept others. I just want to leave you with this question. Have you allowed the hospitality you have been shown by God to overflow into hospitality to others? Is that what your life looks like? If you're a Christian here today, if you've experienced the hospitality of God, his welcome, his acceptance of you, does that overflow into hospitality that you show towards others? How could you go about welcoming others and showing that you accept them? Maybe, maybe you could just think, is there someone in my life group who, could I invite, who I could invite to do something with me? Is there a way that I could show them a welcome and acceptance? Maybe you could keep an eye out on a Sunday for visitors, people who are just dropping in, and think, what would it look like for me to welcome them? 
Could I invite them round for Sunday lunch? Could I invite them into my house? You see, I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like for us, but it strikes me that the early church was marked by its hospitality. Wouldn't that be a great thing for people to say about Grace Church? Grace Church is a church that's known for its hospitality. You know if you go to Grace Church, you'll get invited around someone's house. You know if you go to Grace Church, you'll be welcomed, you'll be invited in. That's my prayer, that the gospel would have the same impact on us that it had on this slave girl who was freed from the power of evil and sin over her life. That it would have the same power that it had on the Philippian jailer who found something to believe in, something to share, some joy. That it would have the same impact on us that it had on Lydia who as she experienced the welcome God had for her, extended that to others. Let me pray for us, and then we'll finish. Father God, I thank you that the gospel is not just words, but power. I thank you that in the gospel we find the power that defeats sin and evil in our world, that power which no power that we have found has ever been able to resist before. Father God, I thank you that in your gospel we find good news of a Jesus who died for us, who brought us forgiveness, and that is news that we can believe. And I thank you that as we understand that, we find that deep joy that comes from knowing we are loved and accepted and forgiven. And Father God, as we experience that welcome, that acceptance, I pray that we would extend it to others. Father God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news of what you've done in the person of Jesus. And we pray that just like it transformed these people's lives in Philippi, it would continue to transform our lives. Amen.